Have you ever dreamed of one day owning your own business, but just don't know where to begin? Then you've tuned into the right show. On All Things Franchising, you will hear from top national franchisers, successful franchisees, attorneys, CPAs, and others who support this fast-growing business model. So grab a cup of coffee and pen and notepad, because you will want to capture the invaluable information you hear on today's show. And now, here is your host, Linda Ballesteros. Hey folks, this is Linda Ballesteros. Welcome to All Things Franchising. Thanks so much for spending a little time out of your busy day with me. I'm always honored when someone can carve out some time to, to spend with me. Today we're going to be talking about the legal side of franchising. Now, trust me, folks, this is something you need to know. So forget about looking for a a widget. Forget about looking for a brand. You need to know this first. Recently read an article that went like this. The title of it was, There are four reasons to hire a franchise attorney. No, it's not your brother-in-law that does divorces. Totally different deal. This is a franchise attorney. The first one reason that you would want to hire a franchise attorney is they know what matters. So when you get ready to look at a franchise, you're going to be, you will receive an FDD that stands for Franchise Disclosure Document. Trust me, folks, it's 150, 200 pages and could be even more. It is something that you will not want to um, read unless you are ready to sit there for a bit. And to be honest with you, you probably don't know what you're looking for. That's why hiring a franchise attorney, they know what matters. The second one is they can advise you on choosing a business entity. So when you start your franchise, when you buy into a franchise, are you going to create an S-corp? Are you going to create a C-corp? Are you going to create an LLC? See, they're good questions, aren't they? So the third one is they can help if things go south. You don't plan for anything to go south, but you plan in case something goes south, you want to be prepared. And the final one here is if the franchise development director tells you you don't need an attorney, Lord, you need to turn and run because there is something that they don't want you to know. So my guest today is Laura Lewis, and she is going to strip it down for us and talk about nuts and bolts of it. Laura is Managing Partner of Canada Lewis & Associates. Her practice includes all aspects of the firm's areas of expert uh, specialization with a focus on franchise law. She is nationally recognized for her legal expertise as a Franchise Times Legal Eagle for Lawyer Rising, uh, Super Lawyer Rising Star, and a Lawyer of Distinction, as well as a Best Lawyer in Dallas, Texas. Please help me in welcoming Laura to the show. Hey, Laura, thanks so much for being with us today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Well, I'm excited to be here because you know what, Laura, what I love about the way you present franchising is it's no gray area. 
You know, you just kind of, you've, you've been in it long enough. You know enough about it. Let's just kind of cut to the chase. You're kind of cut to the chase kind of gal. So, Laura, tell me a little bit before we get started. What made you decide to become an attorney and why franchising? It was kind of a windy path for me. I'm a second career attorney, and before I was an attorney, I, I was actually a construction contractor. I owned a large utility and underground utility business, um, plumbing and underground utility business, and I found that whenever I called an attorney, I had a couple of problems. One, they didn't understand my business, and two, they were insensitive to how big these problems seemed to me. And so I get it that if you deal with legal problems all the time, it seems like it's small potatoes. But when you're the small business owner, it's a big deal. It's issues you've not faced before. And um, I just didn't think they had good bedside manner. Mm. So when I sold my business, I said, you know what? I I could do this better. And I try to do that every day. Kudos for you in doing that. And, you know, I never thought about it, Laura, but you're right that a small business owner may be overwhelmed by maybe a a letter they received in the mail or a notice that they've received, and they they don't know the law well enough to know how it will impact them. But it's scary, right? Absolutely. It really is. So let's talk a little bit, Laura, about, um, you know, let's just dive into it. You know, as I said at the top of the show, there is that, um, that novel, um, the FDD, and uh, as we were talking in the green room, I shared that I had recently read something that uh, someone had signed the FDD, they purchased a franchise, and a couple of years into it, they did not realize that it was a 10-year contract. So, of course, that's one of the first things that they would avoid if they worked with you. Tell me a little bit about how you work with clients and specifically what you look for when you're looking at an FDD. Linda, when we review FDDs, we probably see it from a different perspective because we also draft them um, since we represent both franchisors and franchisees. Um, and, and one of the, you know, there's several big things. People need to understand the, the length of their obligations. And a lot of times people think, well, I only pay all my royalties, so if I close, there's zero revenue, so there's zero royalties. And that's mm. not how franchising works. It, you still, if you close after year two, you still have a duty to continue to pay royalties for, those, um, for the years left in your term. And we talk about things like that with our clients to help them understand that um, what seems readily apparent um, to the average person when you read it um, just on its face is not actually what it's saying and that the courts have ruled that those words say something different than you would understand them to mean. And so it's it's not a reflection on the um, education of the consumer. It's just that, you know, no one has a reason to know that. So things like how long the term is and what your obligations are in those terms. Some franchise systems also require you to be personally involved um, and manage the day-to-day operations, um, and they don't always disclose that to you in advance. So sometimes people think they could be an absentee owner, but they can't be. Um, Some even have a proximity requirement that you have to live within your territory or within so many miles of your territory. Um, which creates um, issues. 
big things that concern me are things like performance metrics, uh, minimum um, sales requirements, and how do they take corrective action against you if you um, if you're falling behind? Sometimes those corrective action plans are unbelievably helpful and can help right the ship early and and allow a franchisee to be successful. Sometimes they're merely punitive and just an, a, a way to exit a franchisee unfairly. And so there's um, some subjective issues in there that we look for. Um, and, and probably the other one is, you know, what what are the termination provisions? If for any reason, and we all go into this believing you're going to have a successful business, but what if you're not? And Linda, at that mm -hmm. point, you have to understand what is your liability and how are you going to be able to get out of this? And you're able to negotiate that on the front end before you sign your franchise agreement, but you'll never be able to negotiate it after you sign a franchise agreement. Mm. So you just said negotiate the franchise agreement. Is that I, – I guess I didn't realize that there are areas that I could negotiate within the franchise agreement. What do what are some of the areas that might be a little flexible for me? So that's always a good question because franchisors usually say we you know it's against the law for us to change our franchise agreement. Mm -hmm. We never we never change it, and to some extent that's true because it's a regulated document. Uh, they don't change the words in that agreement, but they can amend it with a different a document behind it that says we're going to agree to change certain terms in their franchise agreement. And that's one of the things we do when we, when we do our FDD reviews is we're looking for opportunities to negotiate. We're looking for places to say, you know, these fees are higher than other people in this, this marketplace, whatever um, industry that is. Maybe we can negotiate these. Or this is a new franchisor who really needs good franchisees maybe that makes them more flexible on some of their terms. Mm -hmm. um, and certainly um, we're, I'm negotiating a deal right now where we're buying a distressed location that the franchisee turned back to the, to the franchisor. The franchisor is not in the position or in the business of owning and operating individual units outside of their, or certainly outside of their state. So it's, it's an inconvenience to this franchisor, but they want to keep the location open. So we've negotiated heavily to get an escape clause. If we can't turn this around in a year, we want to get out. Um, no penalties, no liquidated damages. We need some relief on royalties to be able to spend money on marketing instead of um, on royalties. So give us 90 days to use our royalty fees for marketing money instead. So try to really look creatively. And I think each deal presents its own opportunities for negotiation depending on the industry and the place where the franchisor is in their development cycle. And quite frankly, the client's um, uh, risk concerns. Some, some mm -hmm. businesses are more risky and some um, franchisees are more tolerant to risk than others. Mm -hmm. And so, Laura, say I have decided I'm going to go with ABC Child Care Franchise. Um, and I look at that franchise disclosure document, and even you said it's really not written in layman's language. So I bring it to you. Where do we go from there? 
what what is the next step there? So generally, the way we manage it is we 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 read it all. We read the FDD, the Associated Franchise Agreement, any guarantees that are required. Um, sometimes, you know, it'll it will include a development agreement because um, our client may want to develop three or four or five of these ABC daycares, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. we review the documents. We actually draft a memo, and I know that's not really industry standard in the legal community anymore, but I've found that um, our memo is seven, eight, nine, ten pages long. It's a lot of information to take in, and so if I get on a call and I just give all that information to the client, they can't take good enough notes or recall all of that information because it's Mm -hmm. all very new information to them. And I find mm-hmm. giving them a memo and then talking them through it is ever so much better because they can continue to refer back to that, um, and it really serves as a template for their future negotiations with the uh, with the franchisor. So after we get through that and we've discussed where I think there's opportunities for negotiation or where they've expressed concerns, then either the the, fr- the franchisee directly we'll go back and talk to the franchisor or they'll um, have us reach out to the franchisor and negotiate for some of those terms. And most of the time it's kind of a hodgepodge of both. They go back to their salesperson and express their concerns, but ultimately the franchisor or their attorney will reach out to our firm and we'll um, work together to refine how we're going to actually say that in a, in a way that works for both the franchisor but gets the franchisee what they need. And we, through that process, we draft an amendment to the franchise agreement that allows the franchisee to get the benef- those benefits at the same time they execute a franchise agreement if they decide to go forward. Mm-hmm. So, Laura, what you're describing to me, uh, I don't know what you charge, but what you're describing to me, it sounds like it would certainly be worth every penny of it for me to have you review that. Linda, we believe it is, and and we've decided a long time ago that we're committed to providing FDD reviews because we think that it it really creates um, the soundest footing for building small businesses, and our law firm has a heart for small businesses. We want them to be successful. For that reason, we actually do our FDD reviews for a flat fee. We charge $2,100 for our FDD reviews, and even though that may take seven or eight hours by the time we get it all done and we spend 30 minutes on the phone going over it. Um, we feel like it builds a good relationship with us and our client. It keeps the, I mean, when you're starting a new business, you're nervous about fees. All mm-hmm. of every, you don't have any revenue. It's just expenses. And so mm-hmm. we don't want them to feel like they hired us and they gave us a blank check. I mean, quite frankly, when you look at those FDDs and they're three inches tall and you don't know how fast I read, it's kind of scary to say <laughs> you'll pay me an hourly rate to read it. <laughs> That's funny. And you know what it kind of sounds to me like, is, well, and, and some of these franchises are quite pricey. So you could spend a million dollars, you could spend you know, 300000 you could spend a lot of money in that. But it almost sounds like, I don't know, like an inspector, like you're going through and you're inspecting the document. Absolutely. And, you know, that's an analogy we, we use with our clients. Um, I personally wouldn't buy a house not for 300000 or a million dollars. 
that I didn't have an inspector come out and look at all the systems and that I didn't hire an appraiser to make sure I wasn't overpaying. Um, That's just routine, and quite frankly, your mortgage company requires it because they want to make a good investment in your mortgage and in your home. The same thing is true here. It's a 10-year, usually, a 10-year commitment and several hundred thousand dollars at risk and the investment of two or three thousand dollars in investigating what you're getting seems like money very, very well spent. Lori, it just made me when you said that uh, mortgage companies actually require the inspection. Um, I don't know if lenders, small business uh, administration, or lenders require that an attorney look at the FDD. Is that something they that they do? No, ma'am, they do not require that. They will allow someone to. um, (laughs) Well, I I think so. (laughs) Just a question here. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, because if you've hired an attorney, then the lender can feel uh, more comfortable that um, that their customer sitting in front of them is a little more informed. And there won't be too many Absolutely. surprises down the way. Okay. Absolutely. Yeah. Most of the yeah. people who want to buy a franchise want to perform. They want to. They're buying yeah. it so that they can perform. But the interesting thing is that we allow them to to do that without telling them what the rules are. It's like inviting them to a game and then saying, "As you start." running around on the field will tell you what the rules are. Yeah. <laughs> and that's a little difficult. Yeah. 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 Very, very good point there. So folks, if you're listening to this recording, today is November the 5th of 2020. And I swear one of these days I'm going to get the organ music to play like the spooky music when I say 2020 it it seems like it needs that so Laura here we are in a pandemic I don't know where we are but pandemic is still part of our lives how have you seen that this is changing um whether it's the way the franchisors support their franchisees or whether it's franchisees moving forward what changes have you seen happen in the last, I don't know, what is it, 10 months or so that's impacted the decision-making for franchise? I think it has definitely been a shock and awe environment for um, most of 2020. Maybe by this point we're all just kind of becoming numb. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, in the beginning, I think it really was a test of um, the commitment of franchisors to franchisees. And and we saw um, varying degrees of that. Um, many franchisors stepped up very quickly and started aggressively protecting their franchisees and their system as best they could. Um, that doesn't mean that it was a bulletproof system because, quite frankly, most people didn't have a plan in place. And there were a lot of sleepless nights with all of us um, working feverishly to come up with a plan for how to protect these franchisees. And it varied by industry and by system um, significantly. But some of them, uh, some franchisors were in a, a financial position to be able to um, reduce their, their royalties or reduce other fees. Um, not all of them, because quite frankly, most franchisors, their only revenue is royalties. So if franchisee revenue is down 50%, 
then the franchisor is inherently down 50%. Um, so they felt they felt the same crunch that franchisees did, but but where they could, I saw I saw lots of adjustments there, trying to uh, be as responsive as they could. We saw franchisors start working to um, help with landlords renegotiating leases. I know my office worked numerous hours for free trying to help franchisees um, get concessions from their landlords and and work through some. Um, either rent abatement or deferrals or whatever we could do to just essentially survive the summer. Um, and then I, I felt like the, the franchisors and actually the legal community as a whole um, tried to digest all of the legislative um, information coming through, information on relief, information on restrictions and regulations, and um, really tried to work together to understand this information as quite frankly it literally changed significantly every single day and trying mm -hmm. to get that information to franchisees in a digestible format that was workable um, so I, I really thought um, by and large a lot of systems worked hard to be helpful um, but unfortunately that's never a, a blanket case you know there were some systems who didn't and they um, they didn't protect their franchisees, and I'm afraid in doing that, they they significantly hurt their system as a whole. Mm -hmm. Do you did you notice that there were certain industries? I know that the um, restaurants and hospitality was hit pretty hard, but you, did you see some out there, Laura, that was not hit as heavily as others? Sure, we we saw a few that that thrived. Um, so I have um, clients who are in um, fast casual and table side service, and in restaurants, those were hit really really hard. Um, their margins are already tight, and generally, being open at fifty percent occupancy isn't enough to right. um, break even or make a profit. But in many cases, I had clients who opened because it allowed their staff to make enough money to survive, and they were concerned mm -hmm. about their staff. Um, mm -hmm. But as it, but I have to admit, I I have um, I represent a pizza um, system, and their revenues grew right because people were ordering pizza like crazy. Yeah. We also yeah. saw um, in some service businesses, lots of service businesses improved. Um, so there was. Um, some certain certain handyman um, uh, franchises and, mm -hmm. and and businesses were doing well, and and certainly restoration companies. If your house floods or catches on fire, you're calling no matter what. Um, mm -hmm. But those businesses who are inclined to deal with um, um, contaminants already, they were also able to step up services and provide um, COVID cleaning or you know enhanced cleaning and a variety of other services that were in need at the time so they were able to expand their portfolio and um, build their customer base during that time so it really did depend on the industry mm -hmm. absolutely you know how do you see that COVID has changed the way that um, the franchise community moves forward are there some lasting changes, do you think, that are coming out of this? Well, I think um, those 
force majeure provisions that say if there's you know an act of God or a labor strike or a material shortage and that prevents us from performing um, this contract those provisions will probably change because there's been a lot of fighting this year about well is a is is COVID an act of God or is it mm -hmm. or are the government regulations associated with that are those are those covered by these force majeure provisions? So I think people will look a lot more closely at, at what is covered and what is an excuse not to perform under a contract. And I think mm -hmm. that will last for a very long time. Mm -hmm. You know, um, Laura, I had an, uh, a commercial insurance agent on, and one of the things I specifically asked him was about business interruption insurance. Mm -hmm. And he said, most policies do not cover um, a pandemic or a flu or anything like that. However, in some of the European co countries, that is covered. What are your thoughts about that? Well, I think it was a little horrifying how this all worked out. Um, yeah. The people had business interruption insurance, and they were advised by their agent that the way to get that is to attach it to your property. So, and and if before COVID, that would have seemed reasonable because that's how you expect to be interrupted, right? You're going to have a, a yeah. flood or a fire or a hurricane's going to knock your building down. And so when you have property damage, that's going to prevent you from operating your business, and that's when you're going to get your insurance. And so they're saying, well, your property wasn't damaged, mm. so now you don't have business interruption insurance is really how they've worked that out. Mm. Um, and I that is being litigated in the courts now, and um, we'll see how it shakes out. Um, mm -hmm. But they're definitely going to have to at least offer some kind of rider that allows um, an, you know, someone to make an educated decision that they want to pay extra to truly have business interruption insurance for whatever it is. You know, it, it, it's, it's really insurances for unforeseeable circumstances, and no one foresaw this, and certainly no one could be blamed for it. So if the, if the insured party was not to blame, then they should be able to get coverage for the things that happened to them. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and certainly people thought that that's what they were buying, and it wasn't. Right, exactly. Well, uh, just like you said, no one predicted this for sure. And uh, if anyone had the pandemic in their marketing plan for 2020, I'd really like to meet them because I, I know they've got those lottery numbers as well because uh, <laughs> nobody saw this coming for sure. Laura, I need to take a quick commercial break. When we come back, do you happen to have some stories of maybe clients that you've worked with that you could share with us? Absolutely. I'd love to. Wonderful. Folks, we'll be right back with more from Laura Lewis after this commercial break. House Talk Radio. Join Tony and Wendy Gambone on House Talk Radio, where they talk all things house. From tips on home repairs and remodeling to best practices on buying and selling a home, hiring contractors, home loans, and insurance, as well as decorating ideas and how to get the most bang for your buck. If you would like more information about House Talk Radio, go to housetalkradio.com.
every Thursday morning at 9 a.m. to Tough Talk Christian Radio with Tony Gambone. Tough Talk Christian Radio is for those who want to share and receive expressions of faith that will help you take the next step in your relationship with Christ. Listen in to hear from others about their experiences of faith and the love of Christ. Call in to share your experiences at 347-989-1363. Learn more by going to toughtalkchristianradio.com. Are you dreaming of owning your own business but just don't know where to begin? The wait is now over. Linda Ballesteros is a catalyst to becoming a business owner through franchising. Whether you are looking to create a living that will allow you to leave corporate America, change your lifestyle, allowing you to enjoy the fun things in life, or if you're looking to build a legacy that will support your family for years to come. Contact Linda today to start the process of being your own boss. Linda at EmpowerFranchiseConsulting.com, 832-640-4922. Hey, folks, welcome back to All Things Franchising. We're here talking with Laura Lewis, and we are talking about the legal side of franchising. Laura, when we broke for commercial break, I asked if you happen to have some stories that you could share with us. Absolutely. So um, one kind of interesting story about the caveats of a franchise agreement. Here a while back, I was reviewing a franchise um, disclosure document for a hearing aid franchise, and it's common for all franchise agreements to have covenants not to compete. So if you buy a McDonald's, they don't want to teach you the Big Mac secret sauce and then have you go open McDougal's the next day and take all their secrets with them. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's common um, in, in all franchises. But this one was kind of unique in that it required the franchisee to hire an audiologist or a licensed doctor to work in the in the hearing aid business, which makes sense, but you had to get this doctor to sign a non-compete where they wouldn't work um, performing audiology services for the whole time they worked for you, which might be reasonable, but also for a period of two years after that. And so once we started talking through that, I said, how would you ever get someone who's gone to the trouble of getting a, becoming a doctor Um, to agree that they are going to provide services for you and then not provide services for two years after that. And interestingly, when I normally if you point out a fallacy like that to a a franchisor, they'll make some adjustments because they realize it's not workable. But in this case, they simply wouldn't budge on that. Um, And so the franchisee simply didn't buy the business. It just wasn't, wasn't workable. Um, and so we, we had to move on. We found some other business opportunities that fit this, this client, but that was kind of a deal breaker. You know, Laura, in, in hearing you describe that, the, the non-compete thing, um, if it's his livelihood, does it still shut him down? Yes, it does. It, um, in most all states, the Courts have ruled that if a person buys a business and they agree to a non-compete, then it's generally enforceable, um, particularly during the term of the agreement. Now, some states have said after the term of the agreement, we're going to look at it a lot more skeptically. For example, California usually does not enforce post-termination um, non-competes, but many, many, many states do, and that is a can be a huge sticking point sure. um, when when entering into a franchise, especially if it's for an industry where you're particularly certified 
or degreed or licensed, um, it you can't. Most people can't afford to bet on this being their last job, so they need to address that the issues with the non-compete. Mm-hmm. And to to roll the dice, hoping that it's going to work when you've never done this before, but also to know that if it doesn't work. Uh, you don't have a safety net because you can't go back into your and use the trade that you have been certified in. Exactly, exactly, and that's the huge risk. Yeah, I could see that. I could see that. Laura, if somebody's listening now and um, they would like to know more about how you might be able to help them, first I want to say I know you're located in Texas in the Dallas area, but. Do you help franchisees or franchisors across the U.S.? Yes, ma'am, we do. We work with franchisors and franchisees across the United States. Um, Some of our franchisors are actually international, and we collaborate with attorneys in other countries to help facilitate their expansion um, across the globe sometimes. Mm -hmm. So if somebody is listening, how would they find out more information um, about you and your practice and how you might be able to help them? We would love to have them visit our website at canadalewis.com. That's C-A-N-A-D-A, like the country, Lewis, L-E-W-I-S.com. Great. And so all the information would be there. They would they know what your services are by the website, and they can get in touch with you via the website as well. Absolutely. All of our contact information is there, information about the services we perform. We only work with businesses. We don't provide services in any other area of law. And, um, and of course, they can always reach me by calling me at 469-664-0120. Wonderful. Laura, we're down to those final three questions here. And the first one is, if there is someone listening who's considering purchasing a franchise, what would you suggest they do to prepare for the process? I would say that an important an important step is to educate yourself about the industry you're interested in. I find that talking to franchise brokers is helpful because they're able to help you understand what you're really looking for. Sometimes people think they want to be in a certain business, but once they really start um, talking to someone knowledgeable, they'll find that it either doesn't fit their personality or their lifestyle or their time Mm -hmm. commitment or actually what they want to invest in that matter. So if, the, if they can talk to a broker who will say, you know, ask them those hard questions and insightful questions that maybe they haven't thought about, then um, that also opens doors a lot of times to, to opportunities you didn't even know were available and aren't going to be readily um, findable to you. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think that is perfect advice, Laura, because what I tell clients that I work with is just let's put the widget aside. You know, let's just forget about the, what the widget is right this minute. Before we go any further, let's see if the rest of it will fit in your lifestyle. Do you really want a brick and mortar? Do you want to work seven days a week? You know, what, what is it that you're looking for? What fits in your lifestyle? Because my philosophy is, Laura, if it doesn't fit in their lifestyle, they're setting themselves up for disaster. I completely agree. And the whole point of franchising is that it is a vehicle to 
financial independence and um, lifestyle independence and um, all of those uh, intangibles. That, that's the whole purpose. You're not just buying a job. You're, in theory, buying a lot more than that, but you want to make sure you're buying what fits into your life. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Most definitely. So the second question here is, what are two traits that make a successful franchisee? Interesting, Linda. I think two traits that make a successful franchisee is that you must be willing to adopt someone else's system. Mm. If you if you're if you're a cowboy and you need to invent all your own systems and do it your own way, then franchising will not be um, enjoyable for you. But if you're ready to buy into someone else's system that's been successful and follow it, then you can usually follow their system to success. And then I would say the second characteristic is that you have to be actively involved and work hard. Franchising mm-hmm. is not an insurance policy. Just because you buy, put up a sign, someone else's sign, McDonald's, Chick-fil-A, whatever it is, just because you put the sign up doesn't guarantee your success. It's like all businesses. You've got to get in there and, and push it forward. Mm-hmm. Folks, this is a critical, critical thing for you to understand. And I tell anybody that I talk to about franchising is that this is a business. It's not a job. So that doesn't mean that you're going to get a paycheck the first and the 15th. It doesn't work quite that way. So you get paid for the amount of um, energy you put in it. And I'll tell you another thing, folks, if you're listening today, Owning a franchise is like owning – it is owning your own business. It is not for the faint at heart. Keep that in mind. You have to be ready for the challenge. Don't you think, Laura? Absolutely. That is so true. So, uh, okay, so the final question here is, what does the future of franchising look like? Wow, that's a little philosophical, but – I think the future of franchising is bright. I think it's very bright. Um, I'm still seeing, even now, strong franchise sales, um, good opportunities. Um, Americans are resilient, and um, small business does drive our economy, and and there will continue to be good opportunities to do that. And I think franchising, the future for franchising is very bright. Mm -hmm. You know, what I've seen... um, Laura, is that whenever there is a a crisis, whenever there's a challenge, that's when I see that creativity kicks in. So are you seeing some of that maybe with some brands that maybe they hadn't even thought about franchising before? But franchising is a great distribution model. Absolutely. Um, And it it really – puts a vested owner in every store, right? I mean, so we're constantly having that conversation about, you know, employees are hard to manage, and sometimes it's hard to get their buy-in. Well, there's no greater buy-in the fact that you have invested in this business and you own it, and you Mm. have every interest in making it successful. Um, So that really gets gets that buy-in. It gets that commitment to succeed, and, and allows franchisors to, to grow their business in a different way. Mm-hmm. And so I, I think it's a wonderful opportunity. 
I think that's a really good point because if they're so folks, if you're out there and you maybe you have um, mom and pop's burger joint and you've got a couple of them around town and you're thinking about, should I franchise? Should I just expand? That's a good point, Laura, that you can expand another location, but you've got, you're, you're dealing with employees and they don't have the buy-in. They're just looking at the clock and when do I, so if you expand it using the franchise model, you've got someone in that location that has a bigger buy-in because they've got money invested. That's a good point, Laura. Absolutely. And when you look at that opportunity for I want to open that fifth or sixth location, you know, you only have so much bandwidth, right? And so at some point, location five and six or location one and two have to get less because probably one through four was all the bandwidth you had. And so Mm -hmm. looking strategically at how to strengthen your system as you start to grow it, that's the the best timing. And then, you know, you just have to be strategic about the partners you create as as you start looking for franchising, towards franchising. And and all of that, folks, if you're listening, all of that cannot be done by yourself. You have to have trusted advisors around you. So you have to have an attorney, not just an an, any attorney. You can't get your brother-in-law that's a divorce attorney to help you with putting together a franchise disclosure document. It has to be uh, someone that understands that, like Laura and her, uh, her firm, to be able to put that together. You need to have a franchise CPA. No, it's not a CPA that has worked in corporate as, um, you know, a controller or a CFO. They don't understand franchise, CPA, and accounting. So it's important to have those trusted advisors around you that understand the franchise model. I got off my soapbox for just a bit there, Laura. So, um, (laughs) Laura, one more time. If somebody is listening, what is your website? How can they find out more about you? They can find us at CanadaLewis.com. That's Canada like the country. L-E-W-I-S dot com or by calling 469-664-0120. Hey, Laura, thanks so much for being on the show today. I totally enjoyed it. We're going to have to bring you back on and we'll take another subject that we can get on our soapbox about. How about that? I would love that. (laughs) Very good. Thanks again, Laura. I appreciate it. Thank you. So, folks, I hope now, at the end of the show, you realize the the reason I started the show with that article. There are four reasons to hire a franchise attorney. Clearly not just four reasons, but the ones that I mentioned at the top of the show are certainly important. So I'm going to leave you with this quote, as I always do. Once you find something you love to do, be the best at doing it. That's a quote by Debbie Fields. She's the founder of Mrs. Fields Bakers. So I know you recognize that name. I'm sure you've had one of their chocolate chip cookies before as well. So thanks so much for joining me today on All Things Franchising, and we'll see you next time. Another great episode of All Things Franchising is now in the books. 
You can listen to past shows by following All Things Franchising on Facebook and Twitter. Thank you for joining us today. And be sure not to miss us next time when we bring you a brand new episode of All Things Franchising.